You know, when we first started this series, I thought, that music's a little hard. You know what I mean? I'm kind of liking it now. I don't know. I'm going to miss it when it's gone, I guess. Kind of get you guys woke up, maybe. I don't know. Uh, me too. Uh, several things this morning before we jump in. First of all, uh, let me say a word uh, to a company here in our community, Prim Landscaping. Uh, they were kind enough to come out and scrape that parking lot that you were supposed to park on uh, and the sidewalk you were supposed to walk on. Uh, out here <laughs> as you came in this morning. Uh, they did that and had a desire to do that and said, you know, we're just, that's going to be our gift to Northside. Amen. And so we're so thankful for that. Wasn't that sweet? <clears throat> so if you know anyone over there or you work there, uh, be sure to let them know how blessed you were today. Now, Northside, don't be Baptist and go think, well, if they did it for the church for free, they'll do something for me for free too. Right? That's not what that's about, all right? Uh, but it was a blessing. I couldn't help, uh, you know, in study, we were pivoting for, for today and, and having so, some different time. I was reading a lot of different things, and I came across a story uh, of someone, you know, the, the winter like this is, it's not completely uncommon in Tennessee, but, you know, the, the long stretches like this is a little rare. And, uh, but I found a family that lives in northern Minnesota, right? And it's just a different winter. People are just tougher up there, aren't they, right? Uh, or there's another word for it, I, you know, whichever way you want to go there, right? But it's just it's hardcore up there. Uh, one morning in the wintertime, there was a, a husband and wife, uh, again, in northern Minnesota, and they're, they're having breakfast, and they're listening to the radio. Well, as they're listening to the radio, they uh, get an interruption. The announcer says this, we're going to have 8 to 10 inches of snow today. You must park your car on the even-numbered side of the street so the snow plows can get through. Well, the kind-hearted lady immediately got up from the table and went outside and moved her car to the even-numbered side of the street. Well, about a week later, they were having breakfast again, as they always did, and again, listening to the radio, and the announcer broke in again, being northern Minnesota in the wintertime, and said this, we're expecting today to have 10 to 12 inches of snow please park your car on the odd number side of the street so the snow plows can get through. Well, again, this kind lady, she immediately went outside, moved her car uh, to the odd numbered side of the street. Well, you know how the story's going. A week later, right, they're having breakfast again, and again, the announcer comes, this time says this, today we're expecting 12 to 14 inches of snow. You must park when suddenly the electricity went out. Now, this kind-hearted, distraught lady looks at her husband and said, Honey, I don't know what to do. Which side of the street should I park on so the snowplow will be able to get through? To which her loving husband looked at her and said, Honey, why don't you just leave it in the garage this time? <laughs> It'll take a second. You'll get there. You'll get there. Hey, if you, you know, we have a lot of new people here uh, that, that moved to, to Murfreesboro, and uh, if you are from the north, you're thinking, you bunch of wimps, y'all closing schools and adjusting church schedules and all that, right? You're right, right? If you have moved here from the west, which a lot of you have, uh, or maybe you've come up from the south, you know, you're thinking, oh, I didn't know this happened in Tennessee. We, we didn't bar, you know, this isn't what we came to Tennessee for. I can give you a great word of encouragement just wait a few hours. It's going to be 60 come Tuesday, right? And that is Tennessee. Well, I do appreciate everybody coming out today and for those 
uh, as always, that, that watch online as well. And we have kind of altered uh, everything today, realizing that uh, we have not only uh, our adults, but also our children with us today. Uh, but today is also, <clears throat> excuse me, a special day in the life of, of the evangelical church, certainly Southern Baptist churches. And today designated to the sanctity of life. A time when churches set aside a moment to just remind ourselves that we believe that all life is sacred, uh, whether in the womb or out of the womb, that all life has purpose, uh, that God has a special plan for each and every person, regardless of what their life circumstance or situation may be. It was Isaiah, the great prophet, who said that while he was still in the womb, God gave him a name and a calling before he ever took a breath in this world. And so we celebrate that. In 2021, which is the most recent CDC statistics, they reported that there were over 600,000 legal abortions in the United States, over 600,000. Now let me preface legal abortions, those that were legally done, administered, and reported. How many more does that number actually represent? We may never know. And so we as a church here at Northside, we stand not only against abortion, but also with those who uh, give foster care. We stand with the adoption advocates in our community in this world as well, and also with those who have had the experience of abortion, not in judgment, but in love and forgiveness. And so with that said, let, let's open this morning in a word of prayer. Father, we love you. And each and every person in this room is loved by you. Every one of us today, God, we, we opened our eyes in this world. And we received the breath of life. A new gift from you for this very day. And so, Father, I pray that as you give life to us, Lord, we would seek to share that physical life and eternal life with all others. We love you, Father, and I pray that you be with us today as we look to your word to see how we can be just a little, little more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, we find ourselves in week three of this Connections series, a time when we're just looking at the connections that we already have in this world, in this life, connections at school, connections uh, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our workplaces, and then looking at them through a, a missional lens. And today, I, I want us uh, to, to look at, at, at a special passage that I've kind of altered for us today. But before we go there, let me also say this. Uh, when you came in the auditorium this morning, you would have seen tables uh, that have these, um, what do you want to call them, uh, uh, leaf, uh, pamphlets, uh, fold-out pages. How about that? Uh, on them, if you didn't pick one up on your way in, I would encourage you to grab one on the way out. These are simply interfaith uh, comparison uh, charts that kind of you can quickly look at what a different faith, re religions, denominations, what they believe uh, about Christ, about human nature, uh, about eternity or life after death. And it's just a, a quick chart to kind of give you some direction as over these weeks I've been encouraging you to, 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 to reach out to those connections you have and engage them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They engage them with, with the word of God and the love of God. And so just a resource for you to have that hopefully makes those engagements even easier. That said, also next week, we're going to have with us Dr. Dominic Hernandez. Dr. Hernandez is a, a professor uh, of Semitics, and he is going to be with us to uh, share with us how we can better uh, understand 
our Jewish community, and also then how we can better engage our Jewish community. What does that mean? What, what is the, um, the, the promise of God in Genesis? How does that relate to us today and to believers and the lost Jewish community? So he's going to be addressing all those not only on Sunday morning, um, but also at 2 p.m. that Sunday, next Sunday afternoon as well, and, and more of an open forum format for us. So you'll want to be back for that. Now, as I jump in, I'm going to ask you this week what I do every week. I don't care if it's a snow day. You don't get a snow day from church, right, uh, or from serving the Lord. Did you have a connection conversation this week? Raise your, no, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, right? But I am going to challenge you, all right? Did you take that time? Or maybe, as I shared last week, that varsity level, hey, did, did you plan some kind of gathering for the sole purpose of just asking someone or a group of people what, what they believe about God or the Bible or eternity? And here, here's, here's the question. Who do you know? that is so close to you and yet so far away from God? Who's coming to your mind right now? And have you taken the opportunity to just share with them? Not to, to lay out a gospel track or plan for them, but just simply ask them, hey, what do you believe? And then listen. And I want to encourage you to go there. I've had so many uh, emails, texts, phone calls from, from church members sharing with me just some, some incredible stories of, of these different conversations you've had. Uh, one in particular I want to share, I asked the person if I could, they agreed, said this, I, I talked with three co-workers about God, the church, and the Bible. They were all casual conversations simply asking people what they thought or believed. Everyone, did y'all hear that word, everyone? Three people and, and all of them. Everyone was willing to tell me what they thought and eventually asked me what I thought. Isn't that funny how that works? If you listen to someone, they're going to ask you that same question. With that open door then, I shared my belief about God, heaven, sin, and even the Bible. I asked each coworker if they wanted to join me for an upcoming men's breakfast at church, and one said yes. One out of three. One said yes. His wife will actually attend the women's breakfast with my wife, as well. And what a story. Just simply by getting in contact with people you're, you're already in contact with, co-workers, and saying, hey man, wh what do you think about the Bible? What do you think about God or eternity? And then allowing them to share and then being willing to listen to their story and then engage with them where they are. We had a, a marriage conference here at the church uh, several months back. And in that conference, I, I wrote down a quote and this is what one of the presenters said. They said this, curiosity leads us to connect in a deeper way. Now, here's where they were going with this. In marriage, they said, try to ask a question and listen to under, better understand where your spouse is coming from instead of just assuming you already know, all right? Um, let's lay that out practical. Your spouse does something, you don't like it, you don't agree with it, whatever the case may be. And instead of just immediately assuming you know exactly why they did that, they did that to push your button. They, they did that for this reason. Instead of assuming that, take the time to say, babe, why'd you do that? <laughs> and listen. And maybe within that conversation, you'll actually hear their motivation, which wasn't at all what you assumed it to be. Well, that's true in marriage, and certainly that's true in evangelism as well. Listen, just be curious about someone's life. Ask them a question and then listen to them. Listen to, 
Allow them to, to share where they are in life. Ask them to, to share what their thoughts are. And, and if they are without Christ, that is going to come into the conversation. And you're going to have an opportunity to share what, what you believe. Well, week one of this series, then we looked at the story of Peter and Cornelius. You'll remember that, that great story. The, uh, the Jewish Peter was sent by the Holy Spirit to, to go to the Gentile's house, Cornelius. And he goes there and he's, man, I shouldn't even be here. And yet God shares, God encourages him to, to share the gospel with everyone who's there. And the whole house gets saved. It's kind of like the testimony we saw this morning, isn't it? With the Nolan family, Right? Uh, mom and dad are coming to the Lord, and before you know it, so is the child. Well, that's what happened at Cornelius' house, and it was there that Peter realized, man, the gospel is for everyone. It's for all people. Uh, out of that, we, flew, we uh, rolled in into the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus said this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and also on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I said this in week one, that the imperative verb there, or the, the command, if you will, is not go, but it's make. Making disciples, that, that's what we're commanded to do. And you're to make disciples then as you go. As you go through life, you're to, to make disciples of everyone. It says of, of all the nations. Remember that word ethnos. It's not talking about land, continents, but it's talking about of, of all people, of every race, of every sector, of every culture, everyone. And Jesus says, and remember this, I'm with you. And Northside, I'm telling you what, even today, he is with you. When we go on his mission to share the good news with others, he's with us. And all that, that we would have that, that that, that, that missional view, that, that we would look at life through a missional lens, if you will. As I shared before, that, listen, I'm not going to the gym to work out. I'm going to the gym to be a witness for Christ. And while I'm there, I'm going to get some exercise in. And just fill that blank in for, for everything we do in life. I'm going to work, not just to earn a paycheck. I'm going to be a witness. And while I'm there, I'm going to be one of the best employees that that employer has, and I'm going to get a paycheck for it. Everything we do looking through a missional lens. I couldn't help as I was thinking about that, challenging not only you, but myself in my study. Back uh, last year, I think it was fall break we went on a vacation. Is that right? I should have asked beforehand. Fall break. Uh, because it was, it was colder outside, right? So we're down on the beach. It's a little bit colder, and so the kids are out swimming. And I decided, you know, Macy, my, my daughter, decided, that it's a little cold. Let's go to the indoor pool. They had a big indoor pool, and Around that indoor pool was all these hot tubs. You know, they got all around the pool in there, and it feels great in there. So uh, there's not many people there because it's fall break. And we go in, and we, we get in one of the hot tubs, right? We're sitting there having a conversation. And in bebops this little girl, right? And out of the giant pool that's there with hardly anybody in it, all the other empty hot tubs, she makes a beeline to our hot tub. And I'm watching, and I'm just seeing her coming. I thought, you know, <laughs> of all the hot tubs, you got to. You know, I'm having a, a conversation with my daughter here, and you're going to interrupt that. And she did. And that girl walked right in, dropped a towel, sat on the edge. She didn't get in the thing. She just sat on the edge of it, put her toes in it, right? So whatever's on her feet can get in my water, right? Uh, but she's just sitting on the edge, <laughs> looks at me, and says, are you a Christian? You're talking about feeling like it, right? Um, I'm thinking, I can't believe out of all the hot tubs you'd come to this one. She was on mission. <laughs> literally, I wish Macy was here. Literally, are you a Christian? 
and just look at me. And I said, well, yes, I am, actually. I, I am a Christian. I said, are you a Christian? Absolutely. She goes into her story. She, she was at the Christian school she was at, what grade she was about to finish. Uh, she told me about her baptism and her church. She goes into all of it, just sharing her story. She didn't know the, the finer points um, of the Bible. She, she, she didn't go into eschatology. She, she didn't talk about reform theology. None of this. She just shared her experience with Christ. That was it. Now, in hindsight, at, at later, I saw after, I, you know, I got over feeling so, like such a heel, right? I hear the preacher is. I didn't ask. She did. Um, but afterwards, I thought I would have given anything if I would have said, no, I'm not a Christian. Just to hear what she would have said. I think I could have learned something from this second grader. I really do. Uh, she, was, she was on vacation with a purpose, to be a witness for Christ. I'll, I'll never forget that as long as I live. I don't even know the girl's name, and, and I'll never see her again. I think she's from North Carolina or something. They're on vacation and on mission for Christ. You know, that's what God wants. He wants us to be mission-minded, that we look at everything through a missional lens, that we do everything with a missional heart, to be mission-minded. Paul was certainly mission-minded. My goodness, uh, Paul was on mission even before he got saved. Uh, there was a story, he, he was, uh, Paul was actually commissioned to destroy the church, and he was hardcore on mission to do it. In fact, as he was going on his way to do just that, to persecute Christians, he came to know Christ on the Damascus Road, and his life changed forever, and he found a new mission. And Paul was just, just as, as all in on a mission for Christ as he was on the mission to destroy the church. You know, I think sometimes maybe that's, that's what we need to do as believers. We're passionate. We're missional about certain things. And when we come to know Christ, we need to take that same passion to be on mission for Christ. I wrote this down. Your desire to share Jesus with people is not because you want to convert them, but because you have been converted. And that's what it was for Paul. He, he came to know Jesus Christ. And he got on mission to tell everyone he could how they could find that same forgiveness, that same love, that, that same salvation. Certainly, uh, Peter eventually got there too. We looked in Acts several weeks ago when he said, now, now I truly understand what the Spirit was trying to tell me, that the gospel is for everyone. And we're to take the gospel to everyone. And certainly, Jesus modeled that in the New Testament. I want us to begin this morning with, with a video clip. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. The woman said, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for water? Jesus replied, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never be thirsty again. The book of John, chapter 4. They say your life could change in an instant. And mine did when a Jewish man asked me, a Samaritan, for a drink. I have been drinking from the same well for more years than I could count. For me, change seemed impossible. 
I didn't even want it. But the well always left me thirsty. So I came back to it over and over when no one else could see me. I always came alone. The truth was, I had no husband. He told the truth, the real part of my life, the one I tried to hide, but he looked right through me and met me where I was. He wasn't ashamed of me. He wasn't angry. In my life, I thought I'd experienced love. I thought I was pretty good at finding it too. But I didn't even know what love was. On an ordinary day, I went to draw water and had a thirst quenched I didn't even know I had. I don't know if they'll believe me, but I gotta try. I gotta tell them I found the Messiah. Rather, he found me. If you've grown up in church at all, you're, you know the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. In fact, you could say it's a well-known story. <laughs> bad timing, bad timing. Um, today, what I want to do, I, I want us to, to look at this passage. I, I'm going to read a significant amount, and I understand our, our time and the, uh, the children we have with us as well. So, uh, but I want to take kind of a different look at it. I, I, I've, looked, I've, I've preached this before and looked at it in many ways. Even one time shared a little magic trick through it. But, but I want us to focus more so on how it began, how this story began, and then also how this story continued on even today. So with that said, I'm going to begin reading John chapter 4. It's in the church app if you want to open that up or you can turn in your Bibles. I'll read from the, uh, the CSB uh, version. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came then to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now, I'm going I'm to pause there. Uh, first of all, what I want us to see, Jesus said that he had to go through Samaria. Now, again, without boring anybody too much, that, that word had, that's an imperative word, right? It, it speaks of a, of a necessity, something that, that had to be done, something that, that had to take place. And Jesus said, I, I had to go through Samaria. Now, if you have a map in, in, in your New Testament, and I think I have an image up here. Uh, it's not the best in the world, but it'll do. If you have a map and you look at that, and you say, okay, Jesus was down to the south in Judea. 
he was traveling to the, to the north there, you see, in Galilee, next to the Sea of Galilee, in, in that region. Now, when he says, I had to go through Samaria, if you look on that map, what's halfway between Judea and Galilee? Samaria. Now, I don't know about you, I went to school too, and the shortest distance between any two places, it, it, between any two points is what? It's a straight line, right? So when he says, I had to go through Samaria, it makes all the sense in the world. Yes, he did. But what you need to understand is he didn't have to go through there. In fact, Jews of that day would, would avoid it altogether for several reasons. First of all, and I want to keep it up for a little bit. Uh, first of all, if, if you notice the terrain there, there is nothing but mountains between the two points that he was traveling, right? And so for, for practically speaking, uh, a Jew would cross the Jordan River over into Perea and then work their way up because it would save them all that mountainous, hot, desperate travel. That was the way they would typically go. But beyond that, in order to go this route, he would have to go through that town known as Samaria, and Jewish leaders didn't like Samaritans. We've seen that repeatedly. In fact, the, the Jewish leaders in that day, right, these are, these are your preachers, these are your teachers, right, your rabbis, they referred to Samaritans as mixed breeds. They were both Jew and Gentile. It had nothing to do with the color of their skin. They were both Jew and Gentile. You, you may recall Israel was divided in, uh, in, into the north and the south, the northern and southern kingdoms, Israel and Judah, right? And the Samaritans then uh, were the Jewish exiles who when they returned uh, back after the northern kingdom fell, when they returned, they intentionally uh, intermarried with the Assyrians, right, which were uh, considered a defiled people, uh, and also that they had uh, pagan worship practices, right? And so as they had children in and as they intermarried, they referred to them as the Samaritans. So they were the outcasts. They avoided them at all costs. And yet Jesus goes out of his way <laughs> to love on them to engage them. So a, a Jewish man like Jesus would, would never travel through Samaria on his own. He, they would never do that. Thirdly, it was very dangerous travel. Because of the people they were, because of the way they were shunned by others, they were also a very rough people. In fact, the town that he stopped in is the name Sychar. Sychar means liar or drunkard. Now, can you imagine that, uh, that, that was the name of the town? Where do you live? I live in drunkard right? Like you, you, just, you wouldn't put that out there, nor would you want to stay there, and you definitely wouldn't want to travel through it on foot, amen? It's not a good place. Well, that was certainly the case in Jesus' day as well. It was a rough area. Not only that, notice the time of day. Verse 6 there says it was, it was noon, the absolute hottest part of the day. And one of the things I love in that passage, it says it, it, it was noon, it was hot, and Jesus was what, church? Worn out. He was worn out. Once again, we see the, the, the humanity of Jesus. There was times when Jesus was hungry. There was times when Jesus was thirsty. There were times when Jesus was hot. There were times when Jesus was tired. There was even a time when Jesus was tempted by Satan. You know what I love about that? That tells me he can relate to us. When, when you're hot, when you're, when you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're being tempted. Listen, Jesus has walked down that road. Our Savior is one that, that can relate to who we are and where we are. Now, this lady, on the other hand, though, she was there for a whole other reason. See, she went to the, to the well at, at that noontime, at that, that hot part of the day, because that was the only time she was welcome. 
That, that was the only time she would be allowed to go there. She was an outcast not only to the Jewish people, but even to the Samaritans. She couldn't draw water when the other ladies went to the well. Why? Because she was a lady with a, a reputation. She was an outcast even amongst the outcasts. And now here, Jesus, a hot, tired, thirsty, hungry, not an easy travel, not an easy place to go to. And I'm reminded from that passage and the model of Jesus' life. Listen, God doesn't always say it'll be easy. But to Jesus, you're worth it. There's no length Jesus won't go to for you. And his model for us is that that should be true in our lives as well. Because the lost world is worth it. See, a lot of times we'll say, that, you know, when we think about those people that, that are on our heart and our mind, say, I need to go to them. I, I need to share with them. And we don't. Jesus had a whole different view. He had a missional view. His view was this, I have to. And he did. A church that, that we could grasp at. Let's, let's keep reading. Pick it up in verse 9. How is it that you, this is the lady speaking, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water We'll get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Now, I want to stop again. Verse 9, they receive, for the Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Now, in, in many translations or manuscripts, that, that's a parenthetical statement. It's not here in the CSB. And the reason for that is that's likely a note that was added by John. Why? Because he wanted us to understand this was a big deal. Jews didn't associate with Samaritans, and yet Jesus did. Jesus went where others wouldn't. Why? Because Jesus was on mission. And then when he went there, we see this story that lays out. He, he engaged this woman. He, he opened with a question for her, and then he shared his truth. He answered her questions. Verse 11, look at her response there. He, she said, man, you ain't got a bucket. You, you're talking about me getting you something. You ain't even got a bucket with you. You know what she's saying? You don't have what I need. You don't have what I need. And Jesus' response, I have so much more. See, sometimes when we engage people who are outside of Christ that are hurting, and they say, this is what I need, but what you know as a believer, no, listen, friend, you need something far greater. You're not going to be able to share patience with your, with your family, with your coworkers, with your children, if that's the struggle you're dealing with, until you receive that forgiveness from God and you're reminded how patient he is with you. You can't give to someone else what you don't already have. She says, I, what I really need is a bucket. And Jesus said, oh, no, you need so much more than that. I want to give you something that you'll never 
thirst again. See, if I were to, if I would have brought a, I should have done it, it brought a life preserver up here with me today, right? Uh, and I slung it out. Beth hit you right in the face, right? Pew, threw it out to you, right? Now, a couple things would happen. One, you'd probably duck, right? And then you think, you're crazy. Why are you throwing me? At best, maybe you catch it and throw it down, but still look at me like I've lost my mind. Why? Because you're sitting in a pew in a dry building. But if you're out in the middle of the ocean, and I take that same life preserver and I throw it at hey, you're going to grasp onto it with everything you've got. What's that? What we've got to realize, we live in a world that is chin deep in a hurt, in pain, in suffering, in lostness whether they know it or not. And the gospel is that life preserver. And you have it. And there's a world that desires for you to give it. Only question is, will you? See, a missional life not only acknowledges the need, but is willing to share it. Let's keep reading verse 16. Jesus responded to her, go and call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands. And the man you are with now is not your husband either. What you have said is true. Sir, the one replied, I, I see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship both in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus said to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Jesus, just then, Jesus' disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way then to Jesus. Now here we, we see this narrative continuing to play out as Jesus engaged this woman and he knew her sin. Jesus knew everything about her life, but he didn't judge her. He, he didn't see her in her sin. Instead, he, he listened to her. And ultimately, then he shares the gospel with her. And then what happened? Church, she left and went and did the same thing with others. You know, one of the, the greatest rifts that's exposed here between the Jews and the Samaritans was where they would worship, how they could worship, and even who could worship the, the Jewish God. And Jesus said, there's a time coming. In fact, it's already here when everyone will worship. But this was such a rip between them. And, and isn't it sad 
I can't tell you how often I hear this from people that I reach out, especially as, as I ask those questions. Hey, do you have a church home? Uh, hey, hey, do you, do you ever go to a church? Or have you ever been to a church service? And the responses I so often get shows that, that some churches still continue that tradition today of who can worship, of who can't worship, of who's not worthy of coming even to church. Well, I'm, I'm divorced. I'm living with someone. I, I had an abortion I'm struggling with homosexuality. I'm struggling with an addiction. We can go on and on and on. And here's the question they ask. Can I come to church? Can I, a, a sinner, can, am I welcome at church? I mean, that's like saying, hey, I've been in a car wreck. Can I go to the hospital? <laughs> What's that? That's why we're here. Again, I've said this repeatedly, but too many churches, we, we live in a place where we say, hey, get your life right and then come worship with us. Jesus said, I'm going to go to you and I'm going to show you what worship is. And I know your life will get right. That's a missional lens. The English word there for, for worship is pretty, uh, it's interesting. It was originally spelled with a T-H. It was worth-ship. Worth-ship. And it means to give worth to something of supreme value to you. That's what worship is. It's something that is worth more than anything else in the world and laying it on that object. And friends, Jesus in his life modeled that, that you're worth it. And our worship to him says that he is worth it. Well, let's look how the story ends, picking up in verse 39. Now, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said, and they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. Man, this multiple divorcee, right, who was likely living in sin in this moment, I believe became one of the greatest evangelists we see in the entire New Testament. She went back telling everybody, and the whole town <laughs> responds, Verse 42 there, look at that. It tells us this, that the only thing that woman did was just share her experience with Jesus. She wasn't educated. She hadn't been to rabbinic school yet. She had just met Christ, and all she did was going around telling everybody about that experience. That was it. And you know what happened? That led them to Christ. And Northside, 2,000 years later, nothing has changed. That's all you have to do. Just, just share your experience with Christ. I think we've made it too difficult. We, we, we took an evangelism class or whatever. It's got us all freaked out. What if I get the Roman road backwards? What if I don't say something right? What if I, what if I miss that prayer at the end? This evangelism is just sharing what Jesus has done in your life. That's it. That's all she did. And the whole town responded. For believers here today, I, I, think, I think most believers are at the same place. Man, when I first got saved, I was on fire for the... I was telling everybody about Jesus. And then I kind of lost that fire. If we were honest with each other, would many of you say that? And here's what I want. I want us to get, get back to that place 
where we knew so little and yet told so many. Man, when I didn't know anything, I was telling everybody. And the more I learned, the less I started sharing. Hey, let, let's go back to when you got saved. I don't have all the answers. I've just got Jesus. And so can you. That's all we're called to do, share and show the good news of Jesus. God handles the rest. One of my phone calls this week, I actually got an email and a phone call, um, was from a man who said, you know, David, I've been sharing with this person and sharing with this person, and, and I realized through this series I was making it more about me and not just trusting God with the results. That's what it is. You just be you. Just share what Christ has done it, and let God be God. From her testimony to their transformed lives. Look, look what they say there. We've experienced him for ourselves. How about you? And don't take my word for it. Have you experienced Christ for yourself? Have you received Jesus? Notice too, did you see what happened? When they came, when they met Christ in that horrific town that was, that was known for drunkards and violence and everything else, they said, Jesus, will you stay a little bit longer? And Jesus said, uh-uh. No, I'm sorry, I got a meeting up here and I can't. I'm on my way to Galilee. Sorry, I, shh, time's tight. No, it says he, he did. Stayed for days. <laughs> the heart of Jesus. And it's the same today. That word, that, 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 those words there, they said he is the savior of the world. You know, it's the only place you find that in the Bible. Now, there, there, there is uh, only there in, in, in John chapter 4 and verse 42, there's a variation in 1 John 4, 14. But I think the reason that, that these Samaritans coined that term for Christ, they said, oh, this is the Savior of the world. Why did they add world? Because they were shunned. And Jesus came and said, this isn't just for Jews. This isn't just for Gentiles. The gospel is for everyone. Friends, who this week, like Jesus did, will you go out of your way to talk to? And then just talk to the person in front of you about the Jesus that's inside of you. That's it. Ask them what they think. Listen to them. And then tell the person in front of you all about the Jesus inside of you. That's evangelism. And can I say this? Lost people today are more amazed by our silence than they are offended by our message. Would you commit to that? Would you commit to talking with someone, having that connections conversation, and just ask them what they believe? And when they ask you in return what you believe, and they will, just tell them about Jesus in your life.